businesses, many, I won't say all, but many want employees to take risk because they keep telling them you need to innovate. We as a business need to innovate. But the problem comes when they do try an experiment, try something new, try something they haven't done before, and it fails. Then the question becomes, okay, what's the reaction, right? Is that employee punished because of the failure? Is it um, encouraged, meaning what did you learn from that? Let's not make that mistake again. And what are the next steps you're going to take? Hello, everyone. In today's episode, I'm joined by Steve Anderson, who's going to talk about his book, The Bezos Lettuce, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. We will cover Amazon's secret sauce to success, but also what Amazon have not been doing quite well and what their next big bet is going to be. Has Amazon's customer obsession gone too far? And what can we learn from that is the big question. Steve Anderson, an expert in strategic risk and business growth, professional speaker and author of a best-selling book, The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. With over 35 years of experience, Steve has been advising businesses on how to utilize technology and mitigate risk. I invited Steve to our podcast studio, aka Zencaster, and asked him whether he could explain some of the principles mentioned in his book. The principles were originally extracted from Bezos' annual letters to shareholders, further analyzed and split into 14 different principles, which altogether create repeatable growth cycles. To put everything into a perspective, Steve will tell you how he got the idea of writing a book about one of the fastest growing companies in the world. My, uh, actually, career is in the insurance industry. And so first half of that was selling insurance to businesses primarily. And then I got very interested and involved in technology and how it applies to that industry. And so the last 25 years, I have had my own business doing research, writing, speaking, and consulting around technology. And that's, a, in my world, a very broad term, uh, and how insurance agents and insurance companies can use it to better engage with their customers. So part of that, a few years ago, I came up with this idea or thought that the biggest risk businesses take today is actually not taking enough risk. Because technology is developing so rapidly that businesses don't have the time they used to to kind of sit back and, okay, let's see how this plays out. Well, I don't, I don't know if this is going to help us or hurt us. In today's world, they need to do it faster, which means they're going to make decisions and moves that are going to be more risky, and that's okay. So as I was researching that idea and that thought, I was looking at companies who had done it well and those that had not done it well. Um, and certainly we have actually quite a few examples of those companies actually that are no longer with us, meaning they hadn't made some of those transitions well. And that's Blockbuster and BlackBerry and Kodak and in the U.S., Sears, a retail store. I mean, there are lots of examples of companies who actually waited too long 
to make changes uh, because customers were starting to change faster than they were. And that led me to those companies that had done it well. And as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, Amazon is at, at the top of that list in terms of success. They have done a lot well. And I was curious, what had they done? And are there things that we can learn? When I came across the shareholder letters that Jeff Bezos, CEO, started writing in 1997 and actually have written up until um, last year, 2020, and that'll be his last letter as CEO as he's transitioning to a new position. And I think what really amazed me was um, how much uh, teaching Bezos does in those letters. And uh, the phrase I use is his secrets to growing Amazon are hidden in plain sight in those letters. And so I read through every single one of them, extracted, as you mentioned, different principles, uh, put them in, you know, group them in four cycles, um, test, build, accelerate, and scale. And then 14 principles that I believe he used to grow Amazon that can apply and help any business owner who wants to grow to think differently about how to do that. The very first principle that is introduced in the book is about encouraging successful failure. Probably all of you who are listening to the podcast right now have done a personal development course or read a self-help book about adopting the mindset of a risk taker. Or at least you've heard about the concept at one point in your lives. Katie Stabler, a CX consultant who joined our podcast in episode 43 called Why Planning to Fail Really Means Planning to Win, uses this premise in a slightly different context. It, we all aspire for perfection. You know, we have processes in place to support us. We have quality assurance. We have, you know, risk tolerance. All of these things are aimed to make us the best that we can be. But at the end of the day, People can fail us, systems can fail us, and we've seen very clearly over the past, well, year and a half that external environments can impact us, i.e. COVID. In Steve's interpretation, he explains why it is necessary that this philosophy is being applied in all functions across the company. Well, so um, a re the real concept behind that first principle, encourage successful failure, is the idea that businesses... Many, I won't say all, but many want employees to take risk because they keep telling them, you need to innovate. We as a business need to innovate. But the problem comes when they do try an experiment, try something new, try something they haven't done before, and it fails. Then the question becomes, okay, what's the reaction, right? Is that employee punished because of the failure? Is it um, encouraged, meaning what did you learn from that? Let's not make that mistake again. And what are the next steps you're going to take? So I'm convinced that employees aren't afraid of failure, but they are afraid of the consequences of failure. And so the idea behind the principle is creating an environment in your business that encourages experimentation, which means you're going to, you're going to have failures. In fact, Bezos says Amazon is the best place in the wor world to work because we actually encourage failure because we understand 
that those are the steps you need to take in order to invent new ways of doing things. Embracing failure is a great starting point for whatever you are trying to achieve. But how do you make your employees adopt this mindset? Luckily, we can learn from companies which are already putting this principle into practice. Um, well, I think it's a couple things. One, it's certainly a mindset of uh, leadership, wh- whatever that looks like. And frankly, it could be just you and a couple employees that are starting up a new business, or it could be a larger organization. So one's a mindset, meaning, well, I, I'll give you Amazon's examples. They actually have a couple of awards for, I'm calling it this, they call it the, um, the Just Do It Award which is an award to an employee who tried something new even and it didn't work but it helped the company move forward by learning new things about what to do and it's actually a Nike tennis shoe so it's not money it's not um not a huge trophy but it is a encouragement to employees and a message that says We want you to be risk takers. Uh, and in fact, that's one of the Amazon's leadership principles. One is default to action. And two is, you know, to, um, to not hold back um, when you're looking at doing something new and different. And I, let me give you another, again, practical example at Amazon that I think is a really interesting tool for uh, business owners. In, in two, and I'm going to try not, I'm going to try and do this in a short manner so I could go on for a while. So cut me off if I go too long. <laughs> in 2004, Jeff Bezos banned PowerPoint, Keynote, any slide-oriented presentation at Amazon, um, which was the practice up to that point, right? You, kind of normal business, right? You go do a presentation, you have your slides, here are the key points, here's what we think is going to work and all of those kinds of things. He banned it because he said it's lazy. And in, in its place, what he requires, and they do that today, is that every decision that needs to be made has to start with what's called a six-page narrative. And at that, at a meeting that's called, I need a decision whether we should move forward with building the Kindle. Big idea, right? Big idea. Well, that started with that team who was bringing and pitching that idea, literally writing a maximum of six pages narrative about the project. That narrative starts with a future press release. What is the press release going to look like on the day the Kindle was released? And then it goes into FAQs. Here's the common questions we think people will ask. Here's the things we see as the biggest problems with this project. Here's how we think we can solve those problems. When that meeting starts, that physical printed paper... <laughs> This is not sent out as an email beforehand. This is literally only sent and given out at the meeting. The first 10, 15, 30 minutes of that meeting is spent everybody reading that narrative. And then they open it up for discussion. Crazy thing to do, right? Because you want people to have time to look at it beforehand and all those things. What Bezos says is executives are busy. 
And they'll tell you they read it and they didn't. And so we take that first time like a study hall and make sure that everybody literally is on the same page. And I've done that myself. So I had started a new company. I pitched a bunch of investors and we did a six page narrative as uh, uh, in that meeting where I was pitching in people to invest in this company. It was really hard to do. And it was really fascinating the quality of the discussion versus kind of going through a, a, a slide deck and people interrupting and I'm having to say, I'll cover that in a couple slides, right? Common things. But now everybody knows all the information. Now we can ask and poke holes in it. We can ask questions about, have you thought about this? All of those kinds of things. So that I believe is one of Amazon's really secret sauces of how they are able to continue to invent new things. I also want to make another point here because I think it's really important. Amazon does not tolerate incompetence. So this is not making the same mistake over and over again. That is absolutely not tolerated. But this is being willing to try something new that's never been done before. Um, and, and I could point to all kinds of things that over the years Amazon has invented that literally now for us are normal. We don't even think about them being brand new. I mean, something as simple as online reviews. Amazon invented that. And at the time it was for books and the publishers were irate. What do you mean you're going to let customers say what they liked or didn't like about a book? What, we're in the business of selling books. What did Bezos say? If a customer doesn't buy a book because it's not going to resonate with them, that's a win for the customer and for Amazon. But they also are going to discover books they might not have looked at before because of what someone else said about the book or because the rating was so high. And so, again, crazy idea at the time that's now normal. Do you even think about buying something without looking at reviews? In 2021, being customer-centric is a must. It's like starting a business and not having a website. And Amazon for sure is one of the most customer-centric companies in the world. Even in the early years of Amazon, Bezos couldn't emphasize more that CX was at the heart of everything they were doing. He once said, we're not competitor-obsessed, we're customer-obsessed. We start with what the customer needs and we work backwards. I guess I know what you're thinking. Potato, tomato, customer obsession, customer experience. What difference does it make, really? In the 1997 letter, the very first letter, um, and part of what's interesting is every letter since the end of the letters say, as is my custom, I attach a copy of our 1997 letter. So Bezos thinks that letter is extremely important because for 20, whatever, whatever it is now, 26 years, 25 years, he's attached a copy of that letter, but he talks about being customer obsessed in that very first letter. And I, again, I've always thought that choice of words was very interesting because obviously, you know, 
we hear about, as you say, customer centricity, customer focus, customer experience. We have all these words around what happens with a customer and how a company engages with their customers. But obsession seems to take it to a different level. And I, I think um, a, a business focusing on the customer and having customer centricity it is great, but I'm not sure they take it far enough. And Amazon tries. They don't all, I mean, they do fail. <laughs> but this idea of obsessing over the customer is just core in how they think. And, and I've said it a couple times. At Amazon, if it's better for the customer, they probably will do it. I mean, another great example is Amazon Marketplace, third-party sellers. Again, early 2000s. And crazy idea. Who in their right mind would allow their competitors to come into and have their products literally side by side to Amazon's products? But what Bezos said was, if a third-party seller has the product in stock and we don't, if their price is better than ours, then it's better for the customer and therefore better for Amazon and our shareholders. Now, the business side is we charge those third-party sellers a fee to be on that platform. So now we make money and uh, on what they're selling. And, you know, again, over the years, the majority of products sold on Amazon are sold through third-party sellers, not Amazon-owned products. Despite the fact that many business leaders aspire to succeed like Amazon, in the last couple of years, they've been facing massive backlash over the working conditions in fulfillment centers. And as a Gen Z, we get vocal quickly if there's something we don't like. Stereotypically speaking, of course, it would feel wrong not to mention something that Amazon have been doing wrong. Amazon, certainly over the last few years, has gotten um, um, some negative press. I'll say it that way, right? Uh, and you know, one, and one of those, um, you know, is working conditions at uh, fulfillment centers, right? And, and I've been exploring this thought or idea of can customer obsession go too far? And I think I have an answer um, that in the in the last letter, the 2020 letter that Jeff Bezos wrote, and again I mentioned that'll be that is the last letter he will write as CEO of Amazon. He adds in there that um, they are adding a new vision, not replacing. So their original vision was to be the most customer centric company in the world, and that's been in their regulatory filings that's been you know all over for actually a long time but they are adding bezos is adding we also want to be the best place to work the best and safest place to work and so now they're putting efforts into how can we improve that fulfillment center workers um, life basically and and here's something that I think is interesting about Amazon. When they, and I would say right now, when Bezos becomes convinced they're wrong, that they need to do something new, they do it. And I think 
we will see over the next few years a real effort to um, improve the fulfillment center workers' lives. And I've been, I've had the opportunity to physically visit two different uh, fulfillment centers. This was in 19, uh, 2019 before the world shut down. And it's a, it's a hard place to work. I mean, when, when, when the focus is on customers and getting them their package, as you said, Adam, you know, today, (laughs) that means somebody's got to pick that thing off the shelf and put it in a box and get it on a truck and get it to somebody's front porch. And that logistics is incredible. And that's where they, the the individual, and I say plural, that are doing that really um, lots of pressure on them to, to work fast, right? And, and so one of the things they're doing, and again, these are just little things that are starting to come out, but they are creating algorithms so that an employee at a fulfillment center actually is rotated to different jobs that require different muscle groups. So they're not always doing the same motion every day. And, and again, from the insurance industry, you know, uh, worker safety and workers' compensation and, and, and employee injuries are a big part of what we work on. I mean, that is uh, groundbreaking in terms of a thought process of how to build a safer work environment. Looking into the future, it's logically impossible for Amazon to keep growing infinitely. So what future steps can we expect from Amazon? And in the short term, will employee experience become the Amazon's 15th principle for success? Bezos identified in his letters, you know, several big bets that Amazon has made. And we talked about AWS. That, that's a big bet. We talked about marketplace. He considers that a big bet. So the question is, you know, what's their next big bet? Um, and interestingly enough, I, I think it might be their project Kuiper. So, um, and, and this is where you can bring in uh, Blue Origin, so Bezos Space Company, but Project Kuiper, and they're well underway with this, will be deploying low Earth orbit satellites to provide literally worldwide high-speed internet access. Elon Musk at um, SpaceX is doing that also. Um, I... It'll be interesting to see Amazon's different take on how they do it. But Bezos has said, you know, this might be our fourth big bet. Um, and so that'll, I'll be very interested. I'm watching that pretty closely, actually. Be very interested to see, you know, what that looks like as, as uh, time goes on. To summarize the key takeaways from today's episode, The first one would definitely be to encourage successful failure as it is the only way to survive and thrive in a constantly changing environment. This process is as old as humanity itself, and people throughout the centuries have tried to define it in an economical and philosophical context. From Joseph Schumpeter and his concept of creative destruction to Heraclitus, everything changes and nothing stands still. I hope you liked this episode, and please don't forget to give us a like and share your ideas on our LinkedIn page. And I will see you next time.